you would, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's pray, and we'll dive into this tonight. Father, we thank you for just your love and your grace in our lives. We thank you, God, for um, the Big C Church, that, that we have this tremendous opportunity to partner with brothers and sisters here in North County and really around the world um, to bring the love of Jesus and the gospel to um, people in harm's way and people that don't know you. And God, I pray that you would just continue to show us as a church and each one of us as individuals where we fit uh, in that, in those opportunities. And I pray tonight that you would minister your word to our hearts, that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, that you would do a work in us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin tonight with a question, and the question is this. What would you be willing to forfeit for the sake of the gospel? Okay, I want you to think about that. I want you to to ponder that. I think it's an interesting question that probably most of us have maybe not thought about at all or ever thought about, but um, that wasn't the case with the Apostle Paul. In fact, the Apostle Paul said this in Romans chapter 9, verse 3, for I could wish that I myself were accursed separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, that's a heavy statement right there. Paul's saying that I I could wish myself to be accursed, separated from Christ. We could say on my way to hell if that meant that my Jewish brothers and sisters would come to faith in Christ That's a heavy statement, and I just want to be honest with you, I would not be willing to say that about you guys, sorry, you know, I wouldn't be like, yeah, Lord, I'll go to hell if that means that all of them that can be saved, I don't love you that much, okay? (laughs) That's crazy to think about, but, but, but I want you to think about this, what would you be willing to forfeit? What would you be willing to give up in order for other people to get saved? Is there anything... That's what I want us to consider tonight. Because you see, Paul also wrote this in Colossians chapter 4. He says, walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside. That would be those outside of the faith. And then he says this, redeeming the time. And the idea is making the most of the time because we recognize that the time is short. He says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now, last week, as we've been working our way through 1 Corinthians, last week we came to chapter 8, and Paul shared this principle in chapter 8, where he's talking about liberty, Christian liberty. And the the main principle that we talked about last week was this, is that love and fellowship should supersede personal liberty, And the idea being this, that if my personal liberty might cause my Christian brother or sister to stumble, and and what Paul uses there, the idea for stumble is not necessarily making them sin. That's what we often think. But Paul said this, if my liberty causes someone else to violate their conscience or to violate their own personal convictions, Paul says I should be willing to, to forfeit that liberty. In Romans chapter 14, he even puts it this way, that if my liberty offends another brother and sister, not just causes them to violate their conscience or causes them to stumble, but but it even offends them that out of love for them, I should be willing to, to give up that liberty out of love for my brother or sister. And so that was chapter eight. And I want you to look at verse 13 because we see kind of how he wrapped this all up. This was his kind of his closing statement on this argument in verse 13 of chapter 8. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And if, and if you're wondering, what in the world is that about? If you weren't here last week, it was all about this, that there were people in the church in Corinth who, who had a really hard time with the idea of eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. And in that culture, they didn't have rest 
restaurants. And so the place where people would go to eat, it was kind of their restaurant, were the temples. And in the temple, part of the meat that wasn't used in the sacrifice would actually be sold at really, really good prices, or sometimes it would be cooked and served there in the temple. And so there were people that were that felt like this way, that, hey, if we eat that meat, it's like we're participating in that idolatry and that worship of that idol. And so Paul addressed that, and he comes to this conclusion and saying, look, um, I don't have a problem with that. I, I know that an idol's nothing, but if my liberty, if food, if eating meat sacrificed to an idol makes my brother stumble, if it violates his conscience, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Now, that was chapter 8. As we move into chapter 9, Paul is still on this subject of exercising our liberty in Christ. But here in chapter 9, he changes the focus from exercising this liberty amongst other believers to now thinking about it in the terms of dealing with unbelievers, people who are you know, outside of the faith. And in Paul's talking about here the idea of, you know, exercising our liberty amongst unbelievers and how to do that for the sake of the gospel. Now, some people believe that chapter 9 is sort of an interruption in this discussion that Paul picks up again, as we'll see next week in chapter 10. But I don't think this is an, an interruption at all. I think this is actually an illustration that Paul is going to use his own life and the privileges, or we could say the freedoms that he had as an apostle, um, that he's going to illustrate the sacrifices that he made in not using some of these freedoms in order or for the sake of the gospel and the witness amongst unbelievers. So let's begin here, verse 1. Paul says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Or don't I have liberty? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? So Paul's kind of validating there, you know, his apostleship that, that you know, he's been set free. He saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. They're actually, their lives are the fruit of his labor. Verse two, if I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not, do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles, the brothers of our Lord and Cephas, that would be Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to remain from work or to refrain from working? So Paul is speaking here about his freedom and rights that he has as an apostle. And he sort of lists them here, that he had the right to receive hospitality. That's what he means there in verse 4 when he says, do we have no right to eat and drink? The New Living Translation puts it this way. Don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? Um, somebody put it this way. Don't we have the right to sleep on your couch and raid your refrigerator? You know, that's what Paul's kind of saying here. Um, the second right, is don't we have the right aren't we, aren't we free to marry like the other apostles in verse 5 aren't we free to be provided for in our ministry or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves now it's interesting that Paul his work that he did was that he was a tent maker he made tents. That was his job. That was what he did for his provision. And it's interesting that in Paul's ministry, there were certain places where he went that he was actually compensated for his ministry. But the one and a half years that he spent in Corinth, he didn't do that. He worked as a tent maker during the day and he preached the gospel and taught the word of God during the night. So Paul is questioning here his and Barnabas's right to be supported financially by the ministry. And he's going to proceed to give some reasons, four reasons, four arguments why he does have this right or this privilege or this freedom. Reason number one is because of human experience in verse 7. Notice what he says. 
He says, whoever goes to war at his own expense. Now, this is human experience. This is logical. It's like, do we take a pilot fresh out of the Air Force Academy and then say to him, okay, now you got to buy your own, you know, F-17 or whatever it is. You got to buy your own plane. No, we don't do that. It's provided for them. He says, who, who plants a vineyard and does not eat its, of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of, of the flock? You know, the farmer, he goes and he partakes of, of his crops. And we don't question that. We're not like, you know, slapping his hand. You know, don't, you shouldn't be eating that. You know, it's like, hey, I grew this. I can eat this. And same thing with the shepherd. He's going to, you know, eat of the, he's going to drink of that goat's milk or whatever it might be um, because that belongs in him. And so Paul starts off logically with human experience and says, look, soldiers are provided. When they go to battle, They're provided with weapons that they need and farmers partake of their own crops. And so the same thing is true of ministers of the gospel. So that's his first reason. Reason number two is the Old Testament law. Look at verse eight. He says, do I say these things as a mere man? Or in other words, is is this my opinion? He says, or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Paul's quoting here from Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 4. This quote about the ox, not to muzzle the ox. And it's interesting because Paul will use this very same um, analogy in 1 Timothy chapter 5 in verse 17 and 18. As he's writing to instruct young pastor Timothy, he said this, let the elders, and the term elder and pastor, are synonymous in the Bible. Let the elders or pastors who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and in doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. And so Paul here is sharing with Timothy, Timothy, those who minister the word should be compensated for that. And we see Paul's sense of humor here as well, because as he continues, he says, is it oxen that God's concerned about? It's like, did God write this in the law of God for the oxen? Like, are they going to read this? Are the oxen, you know, do they, are they going to form a union or threaten to go on strike? No, he says, of course not. Or does he say this according for our sakes? Well, of course, for our sakes, no doubt. This is written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should partake, be a partaker of his hope. Now, the word hope in the Bible is really different from the word that we often use for hope. Like, we'll say something like, you know, I hope I get a raise. Or some of you right now are hoping that the Padres are going to, you know, win the National League West. Sorry, the Dodgers have that wrapped up. But... uh, But, you know, that we, we say that, you know, I hope this happens. And it's sort of a wish. The, the biblical term for hope means an absolute expectation of coming good. And so Paul's using this analogy. The farmer, he plows and he sows with an expectation that he's going to reap a crop. When he threshes the wheat, you know, they would go into the threshing floor and they would take the wheat and the chaff and what they would do is they'd throw it all with a big threshing floor fork. They'd throw it up into the air and because the the wheat weighed more than the chaff, the wheat would fall back to the ground and the chaff would be blown away. And so the idea he's saying when he's threshing and he throws up, you know, the 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 the, the harvest He's expecting some wheat to fall. He's not expecting it all to blow away. No, there's a hope. There's an expectation that he has there. And so Paul is illustrating this principle of sowing and reaping. You sow with an expectation that you're going to reap. And Paul is saying that it's not wrong for a minister of the gospel to sow with an expectation of compensation. He continues in verse 11. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Now, Paul's saying, look, we, we sow 
in the spirit. We sow spiritual things, you know, teaching the word and counseling and ministering. All of that, those are spiritual activities. And, and, and there's always fruit to that because the Bible says that God's word doesn't return void. So it's awesome to know that, hey, whatever happens tonight, you know, there's spiritual activity and fruit that is going to be taking place in the heart of people sitting here and people that are watching online who I forgot to greet. All of you are online. Hi. So glad you're with us. But, um, but you know, that, that's, we, 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 we know that. But Paul said, you know, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Like, is it, it's like an added bonus. You know, sometimes when I, I get asked to go and speak somewhere, and whenever I get asked to go speak somewhere, um, you know, I never go to, I never go uh, to do that ever expecting that somebody's going to, you know, pay me for that. Um, you know, I don't like have a handler that's like, okay, well, so how many people are going to be there? And, you know, what's the honorarium? You know, I don't do that kind of thing. Um, it's like, hey, sure, love that opportunity, love to go. Um, my wife and I are going to do a conference in, a marriage conference in Colorado um, next month. And, and love those kind of opportunities to go and porn people. But So never go expecting that, but sometimes uh, that'll, that'll happen. You know, they'll give us a, a check and just to say, hey, thanks so much for coming. And that's all always nice. It's like, hey, we can go on a date tomorrow, you know, type of a thing. And, and so that's what Paul's saying. It's like, hey, it's, it's a great thing. And so reason number one that he gives of, of why, you know, he has this right is that it's human logic. Reason number two, the Old Testament law. And then before he gives his next reason, he's going to give a hint in verse 12 of where he's going to take this conversation. Notice what he says there in verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not used this right. I have this right, but we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul says, I have this right in order to be compensated for my ministry, but I've never used this right. He sacrificed working all day and preaching and doing his ministry at night because he didn't want in any way what he, you know, he didn't want to hinder the work of the gospel in any way. And now he's going to explain that. And we're going to come back to this a little bit further along. But let's continue with reason number three. The third reason he gives is the Old Testament practices of the priests and the Levites. Look at verse 13. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at, at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Now, in Numbers chapter 18 and in passages like Leviticus chapter 6, Leviticus chapter 27, God lays out the regulations or sort of the guidelines of governing and, and what would happen in the priestly ministry as it related to the offerings that were brought, the animal sacrifices, as well as the special tithes that they were to receive. And what's interesting is that when the children of Israel, and some of you, maybe you don't know this, when the children of Israel settled in the land of promise, God gave, you know, the land was divided up between all the tribes. And all the tribes got an allotment of land for, you know, their particular tribe. All those sons of Jacob, except for one, the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi wasn't given any land. They weren't given any allotment because they were the priestly tribe. And what God had set up amongst his people was that, that as the priests would minister to the people, the people were going to take care of the priests. And that's the way God set it up with the children of Israel there in the Old Testament. And so the priests would actually take a portion of the sacrifice, and that's what they would eat. They would take a portion of the uh, tithes that were brought in, and that's how they would live. And that's the way that God set it up. And so the application that Paul's making here is clear that if the Old Testament ministers who were under the law were supported by the people who they ministered to, shouldn't God's servants who minister under the new covenant of grace be supported as well. And so the, his, his third 
argument was that of the Old Testament practices of the priests and the Levites. And then finally, reason number four that he gives is the teaching of Jesus himself. In verse 14, he says this, and even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. And when Jesus sent out his disciples, we read in Matthew chapter 10, verse 10, that Jesus said that a worker is worthy of his food. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, he said, he told his disciples, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. And so Paul's saying, look, even Jesus supported this concept. So Paul gives four very strong reasons of why as an apostle he had this right or this freedom to be compensated as a minister of the gospel. And that's the point that he's making here. But then in verse 15 he's going to throw a radical curveball. Kind of takes them off guard because he's going to throw this curveball into this conversation because he says this. But I have used none of these things. He's saying, look, do I have this right? Yes. He had the right to be compensated, but he says, but I haven't done that. He's quoting or he's repeating what he said back in verse 12. Look at it again. Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but we endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. And the word hinder there means to impede progress. So Paul's saying, look, we don't want to, we've never done this here amongst you in Corinth because we didn't want to hinder, we didn't want to impede the progress of the gospel. That word impede is the idea of like putting up a roadblock. We didn't want to do anything that might cause the, the gospel to not flow freely amongst the people here in Corinth. Paul said, I'm so passionate about sharing the gospel that I don't want anything. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to have anything that impedes its progress. Anything that would hinder its effectiveness. You know, and here's like an illustration of how, where we kind of see this today. Prior to COVID, here in our church, in probably most churches here in Southern California, in our Sunday morning services, and our, we always would receive a, tithes and offerings. We'd actually pass the bags and people would put in their you know offerings as a, and we did that as a part of our our, our worship time um, as a part of our worship as an act of our our worship and you know there's a lot of people in our church and um, who give online um, and that's increased now that covid but but before it was actually like a part of our worship time and most churches in California would practice that and, and do that because that's kind of an accepted thing here in California but you can go to places in the south and places on the east coast where I have friends who have um you know, planted churches there. And because of the stigma of the way that this, the whole idea of giving has been distorted in the body of Christ and in some churches to where it's just, you know, put a bad taste in people's mouth where they're like, you know, that's all they're concerned about and that type of thing, um, that those churches chose for this very reason, like Paul's saying here, like, okay, we have the freedom to do this, but you know what, we're not going to receive an offering. And so what, what they would do is they have a box in the back and they hardly even make mention of it you know that hey there's a box in the back if you want to give and people would do that and the reason why they did that was because they didn't want the receiving of tithes and offerings to be um, a hindrance to somebody hearing the gospel and so that's what Paul's saying here Um, he doesn't want to have anything that would impede its progress so in verse 15 no sequence but I have Use none of these things, nor have I written these things that I should be that it should be done so to me, for it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. 
Paul says, I have this right, but I've never used it, and I don't even want to start now. In fact, I would rather die than to lose my right to boast about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ without charge. And Paul's essentially saying, I would never want people to think that the reason why I do this is for the money. And this is why I always share this when I'm talking to people that you know are interested in being in they, they say hey I want to be in full-time ministry one of the things I always tell them is this is that hey being in ministry is a calling it's not a job it's a calling and you know what if our economy goes in the tank and we end up, you know, in a great depression again and and I now, you know, I got to go and work a outside job to provide for my family. Am I going to show up here to preach and teach and and to minister to people? You'd better believe it. Absolutely, I'm going to do that. And I know everybody on our staff feels that same way. In fact, all of us have served when we we we, when we were working in the secular world, working you know, outside the church job, we all served a lot in our churches because that was, you know, we saw that as this calling that God had put upon our lives. And so being on staff just allows us to do what we do better and to do it more. You know, I'll put in an average of 50 plus hours every week And if I had to work a a 40-hour-a-week job and then do that as well, hey, there's a lot of things we wouldn't be able to do, you know? And so this is a calling, but no one is doing this for a paycheck. And if somebody was, I would tell them, hey, it's time for you to go do something else. Because this has to be, this needs to be a calling. And this is what Paul's basically saying. This is his calling. It's his passion. Verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I've been entrusted with with a stewardship, what Paul's you know, basically saying is that there, there was some who maybe had this tendency or this temptation to want to exalt Paul for this stand that he's making and say, wow, Paul, you are, you're so special. Wow, you are, you're so godly. And Paul says, I have nothing of which to boast. I preach out of necessity. You know, in Romans chapter 1, verse 15, Paul called himself a debtor to preach. Like, hey, this is my, my duty, but it was a duty that was motivated by love. It was a duty that was really his devotion because of what Jesus Christ had done for him. Paul would say, it's the love of Christ that compels me to do what I do. That it wasn't like him saying, you know, that it's, it's my love for Jesus when he says it compels me. He's saying, no, it's, it's my understanding of how much Jesus loves me. That's what compels me. That, that I just, I have to do this. He was so overwhelmed with the love of Jesus that saved him that Paul's like saying, I, I have no other recourse than, than to preach the gospel. Remember Jeremiah? Jeremiah tried to not preach because, you know, he was having a really poor response. People weren't responding to uh, Jeremiah's message. But he said that when I tried to not talk about the Lord, when I tried to not preach, he says, it was like a fire in my bones. I just couldn't keep silent. That's how Paul feels. It's like when somebody tells you a secret and it's really, really good news. You know when that happens and they're like, hey man, I got, so, I got some great news. And they like, tell you this amazing news. You're like, that's incredible. That's awesome. And then they say, but it's a secret. You can't tell anybody. Isn't that the worst? And it's like just eating up inside of you. Okay, so question. Show of hands here. How, how many of you have ever had that happen where somebody tells you something really, really awesome and then they say, but it's a secret. You can't tell anybody. Raise your hand, okay, if that's happening. Okay, most of you in the room. Okay, put your hands down. Now, all of you who just raised your hand, how many of you told somebody? 
<laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, I got to just tell this one person, and then you tell them. But you can't tell anybody, and that's how it ends up, you know, spreading. But, uh, but, but isn't it awesome when they finally say, okay, now you can tell somebody, and you're like, you want to tell everybody, right? And that's the idea that, that Paul, he's like, don't boast in me. I'm not boasting or saying this to get you to support me. He says, no, I have my reward. Look at verse 18. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Here's what Paul's saying. You know what my reward is? My reward is being to able to do this at all. Paul's saying this is such a privilege. I get to tell people about Jesus. That's how I feel. I get so stoked to be able to come here and spend time with you or go to coffee with somebody and just, you know, talk about the Bible and just share. It's like, you know, it's never ever do I feel like, you know, oh, I gotta, I gotta go preach, you know. <laughs> I gotta go talk about Jesus. No, it's like, man, I can't wait. I can't wait. I remember when we first started Corinthians, I told Denise, I said, I go, God, I'm just loving Corinthians. I almost wish we would have done it on Sunday morning, you know, because I was just really, really just in, enjoying. I was just so looking forward um, to this. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. This is my reward. Remember when Jesus in John chapter 4, he's there in Samaria, at the woman at the well. Remember that story? Remember how the disciples, they go off to get something to eat? And they're going to go get some food and they're going to bring it back. And they come back after Jesus has had this encounter with the woman at the well and, you know, told her about, you know, her whole situation of, you know, she's been married five times and now she's living with a guy who's not even her husband. And, and, and you know, her life gets all, you know, turned upside down by the Lord. And, and uh, she goes away and she's all excited and the disciples come back and, and Jesus is suddenly not hungry. You know, they went to In-N-Out and they come back with a double-double and he's like, no, nah, I'm not really hungry. And they're like, they're like thinking like, what happened? Did somebody, did somebody give him a burger? Did somebody already feed him? And remember what he said? He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Like he was spiritually and physically sustained by that encounter. And you ask anyone who has served in any kind of ministry, and they'll tell you this, that it is both draining and filling at the same time. It's such a cool thing. That physically, yeah, it can be exhausting. It can be, you know, tiring. But at the same time, it's, it's like it's, a, it's, a, it's filling. Paul said, my reward is to preach the gospel and to do it without charge. That's my privilege. Now, Paul is going to share his motivation here in forfeiting this right or freedom to be compensated. And we're going to begin to see this in verse 19. He says, for though I am free from all men, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. And to those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. And to those who are without the law as without the law, not being without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ that I might win those who are without the law. That would be the Gentiles. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. You know, the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi, um, he said this, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. And you know what? Paul was into winning. He mentions five times in our text here this word win. In fact, I want to read these verses again. And I'm going to pause that every single time we see the word win. And I want you guys to say real loud, win. Okay? All right? Little, little participation here tonight. So I'm going to read them again. I'll pause when I get to that. And you say win. All right? Verse 19. For though I am free from all men... I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. 
And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might Jews, to those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might those who are under the law. And to those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without the law toward God, but under the law, that I might those who are without the law. And to the weak, I became as weak, that I might the weak. And I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it. Notice this, with you. With you. We're all in this together. Partakers of the gospel. But you see this? Paul's motivation, his first motivation was to see people get saved. To win people to Jesus. And so he says, I became a Jew. I followed when I was with Jewish people that were really into all the Jewish rules and regulations and customs. I would follow those. I I would live according to those that I might win the Jews. Paul was always looking for common ground. He was always looking. Paul was a bridge builder, always looking for that, that bridge to build, to be able to talk to them about Christ. He says to those who were, you know, under the law, bound in legalism, he would subject he subjected himself to some of their customs. One example we read about in the book of Acts is, is when he's ministering to some Jews, he had Timothy, because these Jews were all hung up on circumcision, so he has Timothy, who's a full-grown man, get circumcised, right? Bummer for Timothy. It's like, hey, we got we to become all things to all men. So Timothy, you've got to get circumcised and, and uh, in order for them to be able to talk to them about Jesus. I mean, that would be like me being with our youth guys, Aaron and Tyler, and saying, hey, guys, guess what? You know, you guys got to get circumcised. Um, I mean, that'd be a bummer, right, for them. I'd be like, oh, really? Seriously? But that's what Paul's saying here. To, the, to those who are under the law, I, I became under the law. You know, I've been to some crazy places in the world where in order to be all things to all men we had to eat some crazy food because if we didn't eat it it was like an, it was like offensive to them it's like that's like the first thing like this hospitality they're opening their home and they want to feed you and that's part of the way that you're you know gaining some respect and camaraderie and opportunity and i mean i got to tell you some of the stuff it was it's like Lord Jesus, please. <laughs> I mean, you talking about, Lord, bless this food to my body right now. Like, seriously, like, and make it taste different. You know, I mean, crazy stuff. But it was necessary to do that. Paul says, to those who are without the law, meaning the Gentiles, I became as one without the law, that I might win those who are without the law, who are without the law. You know, the idea being Paul's wanting, you know, in the Gentile culture, he wants to adopt their culture. Paul would talk about things like their sporting events and, and their cultural nuances and, and that type of thing because he was seeking for ways to relate. And I think we need to learn how to do that. You know, sometimes, you know, some, I know some Christians that all they can do is like quote Bible verses and it's like, like, you know, the guy's a Laker fan. Talk to him about LeBron for a few minutes, you know? Like, like get an opportunity to kind of get on some common ground, build a bridge, you know, an opportunity. You know, we need to learn how to do that. Paul says to the weak, in the context, remember, we talked about this last, the weak is those who wouldn't eat the meat sacrificed to idols. That's the weak that he described and identified last week. He says, I became as weak. Paul said, look, I'm not going to eat meat if, if that's what it takes for me to be able to talk to them about Jesus. Now, I am a carnivore, okay? I love meat. I want to have meat with like every meal. Breakfast with bacon, you know, there's got to be some meat in there somewhere. Um, but if I'm with somebody that just is like offended by meat, they're like vegan to the core or they're vegetarians or, you know, and they're, and they're like, you know, and they're like really vocal about it. 
guess what? I'm not going to be like ordering a big porterhouse right in front of them. <laughs> I'm going to be like, okay, tofu, let's go for it. You know, if that means I have this opportunity to be able to talk to them about Jesus, if that's what's going to take to build, you know, the relationship with them, then, then hey, that's what we're going to do. You know, if there's somebody that is like just so anti-politics and they're just like, I just want nothing to do with politics. Like, hey, you know, I'm not going to throw politics in their face. That's not what I'm going to look as the bridge that I'm trying to build with them. But on the other hand, you know, that might be the bridge in somebody's life that they're just all freaked out and all, you know, worried and they're all, you know, occupied with the election and all the political things going on. That could be the great bridge builder. The whole point Paul's saying is, look, I'm looking for those points of interest in, in order to be able to build bridges with people so that I can talk to them about Jesus. I become all things to all men that I by all means might save some. Now, I want to say this, though. When Paul says that, Paul is not doing anything, though, that is sinful. He's not compromising in any way his walk, his convictions, what the Word of God says. So to the guy who's like, you know what, I'm going to go and and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get stoned with my friends so that I can, you know, talk to my stoner friends about the Lord. No, that's not what Paul's talking about. You know, I'm going to go have sex with this girl because, you know, that, that's the bridge. That's gonna, no, that's not what Paul's talking about, okay? Just want to be clear on that. Chapter 10, in fact, that we'll look at next week, we'll see that that was the mistake of Israel. They abused their liberty, and it resulted in two things. One, them being a bad witness, and it resulted in their own personal bondage. And that's always what happens, and we'll see that next week. But this brings us back to this opening question that I want to throw out to you again. What would you be willing to forfeit for the sake of the gospel? What would you be willing to forfeit in your life that would give you the opportunity to share the gospel? Or let me put it another way. What in your life might be a hindrance to you sharing the gospel with somebody? What in your life might impede the progress of the gospel in a person's life? And are you willing to forfeit that? For the sake of the gospel. For the opportunity for that person to be saved. Or for that person to you know, grow in the Lord. And it's an interesting question because I know Christians that are like, I'm not giving up my freedom. I'm not giving up my right. This is my right. That's their problem. And that so misses the heart of Jesus. And it so misses what Paul is talking about here. Now, before we go, though, Paul gives us one other motivation why he was willing to do that. And we see this in verse 24 through 27. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you may obtain it. Another translation puts it this way. Run in such a way that you might win. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. The idea there is they're, they're self-controlled. They're disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, and thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others... I myself should become disqualified. Paul says, look, I discipline myself in this way. I'm willing to sacrifice in this way, not just because I want people to get saved. That was his first motivation. But there was, uh, uh, that was a big part of it. But there was another motivation, and it was this. Paul was looking toward the heavenly reward. Paul realized, guys, this world is not our home. This life is a short walk in the park compared to what eternity is like. Eternity is a long time. It's like I always say this, later is longer, right? And it is. 
It's going to be so much longer. And Paul lived with that in view. And so his second motivation is this heavenly reward. He says, look, they're running. All these people running and the you know, Olympic athletes that discipline themselves, they, they do that for a perishable crown, a little wreath that's going to wither and fade. At least today they get gold medals that they can put in a display case. But in those days it was like a wreath that they'd put on their head and it'd be, you know, it'd be shredded in a matter of months. But Paul says we do it for a crown that is not perishable. A, a crown that lasts forever. A heavenly reward. And so Paul's telling us that the Christian life is like a race. Christian ministry is like a race. And get this Please hear me on this. He's saying, and we're not just running to run. See, a lot of times, that, a, lot of, a lot of Christians, they're just running to run. Paul says, we're not just running to run. We're running to win. And there is a difference. And hear me on this. I'm almost done. You see, those who run just to run, they take days off. When they're not feeling it, it's like, I'm not running today. It's cold outside. I'm not running. Weather's not good. I'm not running. That pizza last night's bugging me. I'm not running. You know, whatever. They, they take days off. They take breaks. They're not focused. I hate running. And I have a good excuse because of my hip replacement. Um, they don't want me to run. So I bike and kayak and started paddle boarding and swim and things like that. But I've never, ever liked running. I'm running and, you know, I see an ice cream truck and I'm like, I'm stopping. Like, you know, time for a break. You know, I, I hate that. Hate, hate running. I'm always looking for reasons to stop, to not do it. And that's those who are just running to run. Like, oh, I got to do this. But, but those, someone who's running in a race or they're training in a race, training for a race, their goal is, I, I'm running. I'm not just running to run. I'm running to win. Or I'm running to beat my time from last time you know that's my goal how many of you guys how many of you guys run no one no it's true <laughs> i mean that's the goal right you know i want to beat my time i want to do better you know i want to i want to run i want to win this this race paul says i run with an aim i run with a purpose when i box i i've got a target i'm not just swinging at the air and listen for paul the target was to tell as many people as possible about jesus that was his win that was his target. I discipline my body, he says. I bring it into subjection because I don't want to be disqualified. And Paul knew that if he didn't discipline himself and if he didn't make those sacrifices and his, you know, his, if he you know, uses his liberty in a way that stumbles somebody else, he's, he realizes that I just disqualified myself in that person's life. Now, I'll never forget this. Back in the day, long time ago, when, like, when we were doing three services here on Sunday, I know we're doing that now, but we were doing three services on Sunday, and our first one started at 7.30 in the morning. Like We were the only church I knew of that had a 7.30 in the morning service. It was crazy. And one particular Sunday morning service, I, I was running late. And I'm driving here from my house, and I hit this light, and it was back before cell phones a long time ago. <laughs> and uh, so I, I couldn't call, you know, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to be late, and I, you know, are they, they going to start without me? I hope they do, you know. And so I come to this light, and, and I made a right-hand turn, and I cut through this shopping center, and I, you know, I kind of found a way to, like, circumvent, get around the light, and, you know, come out. Well, I didn't know it, but there was a couple from the church that were following me, and they saw me do this whole thing, and they told me about it afterwards. Hey, we saw you today, you know, and you know what? They never came back to the church, and I, and I, and I just thought, you know, and you might think, oh, that's so petty, you know, but, but for me, it, like, crushed me, because I was like, oh, do I, that stupid thing disqualified me from being able to have the opportunity to minister to them, to continue to minister to them, you know. And so I, I, I don't do that anymore. And praise God, we have cell phones now because I'm running late. I just, you know, call. Say, hey, start without me. I'm running late, you know. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it's, it's that type of thing. I don't want to do anything 
to stumble somebody. I don't want to do anything that's going to disqualify me or not give me that opportunity to minister to somebody. That's Paul's heart. I don't want to do anything that's going to disqualify me from this privilege that I have to be used by the Lord. And guys, listen, you and I, all of us, we're called by the Lord to be ambassadors, to be his witnesses. And so I want to ask you this question tonight. I want to kind of leave you with this tonight. How are you running? How are you running right now? Are you running just to run? Is it just kind of haphazard, kind of lackadaisical? Or are you running to win? Are you running with a focus? This was in the San Francisco Chronicle a while back. Every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. And it knows that it must run faster than the fastest lion or it will be killed. Every morning a lion wakes up and it knows it must outrun the slowest gazelle or it will starve to death. It doesn't matter whether you are a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you'd better be running. Spurgeon put it this way. If you're not seeking the Lord, the devil is seeking you. And if you're not seeking the Lord, judgment is at your heels. How you running, church? How you running? How's your walk? How's your witness? And as you think about it, and I want you to think about it, and I want you to kind of pray this in tonight. Lord, is there anything in my life that I maybe need to forfeit because it's impeding the progress of the gospel in, these, in the people that are in my sphere of influence? Lord, is there anything in my life that I need to be willing to give up because you've called me to be your witness and your ambassador to shine as a light for you in this world. And that, my friends, is our privilege, it's our reward, and it's what we're running for. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this great illustration that Paul gives us in his life here in chapter 9 of how he was willing to sacrifice his rights and his freedoms so that the gospel would not be impeded, would not be hindered from going forth. And Lord, as we look at our own lives tonight, as those who have been called to run with you, and to run the race. I pray, God, that, that we would not just be running to run, but we would run to win. And as the writer of Hebrews said, that we would be willing to lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily entangles us and to run with endurance. The race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.